Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. This is Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Colby Williams. Colby, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to have you. Colby's an entrepreneur, and um, he's also written a book. And so, in today's episode, we're going to chat about Colby's entrepreneurial journey, his launching and operating of his coffee shop with his parents called Perengo Coffee, and uh, what he believes are significant small-town entrepreneurial opportunities. He wrote a book called Small Town Big Money, and so we're going to chat about that as well. Uh, Colby founded Perengo Coffee in Sykeston, I think I got that right, Sykeston, Missouri, a very small town, with his parents in 2013. They have won several awards for coffee and roasting and for entrepreneurship, including in 2015, uh, a fellowship, which he received with the Delta Entrepreneurship Network from a pitch competition that he participated in. Uh, his time with other fellows, uh, fellows that are part of that uh, fellowship, gave him the idea for the book, Small Town, Big Money. The book is about entrepreneurship in small towns and how smaller communities are changing to intentionally attract entrepreneurs. The hardcover comes out in, is it still January, Colby? Yes, sir. Great. So January is when it comes live, but by the time this episode goes live, you'll probably be out. So definitely visit the show notes page for more information about that. And we'll have a link to it as well as Colby will share the link for the book itself. Uh, Colby is the vice president also of historic downtown Sykeston, which is their neighborhood revitalization and economic development organization. And he works with several agencies to mentor other entrepreneurs. He also writes a column about entrepreneurship for B Magazine out of, okay, I forgot to ask you how to pronounce that, Cape Girardeau? Gerardo. Gerardo. <laughs> I was giving it too much of a Cajun accent there. It's an old old French river town, so there, okay. there are probably some old Cajuns who'd say it like that too. Exactly, it is. So it is, it is French, I thought so. All right, so with all that, Colby Williams, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much. That was a great introduction. Thanks. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, great. Excited to have you. When you had reached out to me, I thought oh, this is something different, something unique, an interesting concept. I, you know, I have spent uh, all of my life in big cities, and uh, although obviously I've visited different places that are small towns, my wife is from a small town in East Texas, so so I get it. I understand what you're talking about, but I thought it was curious to have you on. But I want to start with with your career and how you got to launching your first business. Uh, tell us about your early days. Did you go to college? What was your career before you started your business? I did. I, I have a roundabout way of becoming an entrepreneur, but looking back, um, I don't think anybody's surprised that I ended up here. Anybody who's known me forever. I went to college, but um, I attended three or more colleges in my <laughs> college career. I finally finished at Missouri Southern State University in Joplin, Missouri. 
Um, I, I ended up there um, by a series of circumstances and uh, got plugged in with people in Joplin and um, ended up finishing college there more out of like, I want to be done with college than like, uh, this is, this is what I want to be doing with my life. So I, I finally finished thinking I would go into journalism. It took me like six years to get through college. Um, so I'm not, I didn't go to, you know, Wharton or some type of fancy business school and, and get my MBA, like, like a lot of other entrepreneurs. But, um, looking back now, I can see like, since I was, uh, you know, in sixth grade, I got busted for, um, <laughs> making, making little like keychains and selling them to other students and then come to find out you're not allowed to do that on school property. So uh, all my whole life, I'm like trying to make a, a quarter here or a dollar there or mowing yards or whatever I can do to uh, to have my own business and be my own boss and probably get out of the, the regular rat race. So here I am now, like later in my life, I, I decided to formally become an entrepreneur and launch a business and, and um, put the actual work in rather than just trying to have a bunch of side hustles. But yeah, that's, that's how I got here. Yeah. And interesting. So back in college, so did you studied mostly journalism, if I'm following, did you back then that you know, you wanted to have your own business or was it just a fleeting thought? Tell me a little bit more about that. I never really sat down and said, I want to be my own boss or own my own business, but I started a lot of businesses or, um, or, events or you know something and and I never said like this is uh this is the career I'm gonna have I just like I saw opportunities and I and every day I have you know 10 new ideas for how to make something better or how to do something cool or like we should try this or whatever and I was that kind of kid like I always had something going and um, I was always inviting people to this thing that I was doing or hosting this you know fundraiser for this organization we're trying to get off the ground and I, I even, um, my freshman year in college, I realized that all my friends were good looking, but they didn't know how to ask people out on dates. And so I started this little underground dating service where guys could come to me in the dorm and it was all totally free. And I would just like sit down with them and brainstorm how to ask someone out on a date and then how to execute that date to be impressive once they got there. So you developed a whole methodology for it. Oh yeah. I just realized like, what are the, these losers don't know how to even go out on a date. They need my help, you know? And so like, uh, I guess entrepreneurship's been in my blood, even when I, I didn't realize it, I just am trying to make things better and filling opportunities when I see them. Yeah. Did you have uh, entrepreneurial influences, your parents, uh, family, where do you think it came from? Gosh, I don't know. I, I tried to track that down. Um, my parents, I found out, have owned a few businesses in their life, but it was all way before I was born. And I didn't even find out about any of them until I was in my twenties. Interesting. Uh, so they, they have done that. And that's, I guess it's just never been discouraged because they've had the experience doing it too. So if I ever came up with something or, you know, in high school, I paid the bills by mowing yards and, and um, it was never weird for my parents to like see me going door to door handing out flyers or, you know, trying to drum up some business. Cause I, I'm sure they saw themselves uh, in their own past. They, they saw that in me that they had done that before. Yeah. All right. So was the coffee shop your first, uh, I guess, complete business. I was going to say a real business, but not that a side hustle wasn't a real business, but was it your first uh, formal business? Was that the coffee shop? It was. Yeah. Uh, we officially opened when I was 27 years old. And wow. so through my twenties, we, 
my parents lived in this small town where they are from southeast Missouri and they ended up moving back to Sykeston after I moved off and uh, they were interested in the revitalization efforts that were going on here in historic downtown Sykeston and they were talking about it to me a lot and they thought that they might like to retire and open up their own coffee shop or cafe of some sort. I got them really hooked on coffee shop culture when I went off to college whenever we would go somewhere together if they would come visit me. Um, I'd make them sit around some hipster shop and sip espresso with me. And my parents are unique people too, so I, I should give them a lot of credit. They're, uh, they're in their later 70s now, and they're, wow. they're really cute. They've been married for over 50 years, and they're really active, energetic. Everybody loves them. They're really funny, and they, uh, they want to like, they still are the first people at the shop every day and the last people here at night. And they, they love this type of atmosphere where you get to meet a lot of people. You see a lot of people coming and going or passing through town and stopping here off the interstate. And they like to chat those people up and find out everything about their lives. They, they just sound like they were, and that's got to be part of the influence on you for entrepreneurship is they just seem like really curious, open people that are, that are always looked at life as what's, what's the next adventure kind of. Definitely. Yeah. And, and they have, uh, they have taken opportunities in their lives when something comes up a job in another state really far away, they'll take it and they'll move and they've lived all over the place. Um, and, and not because of the military or uh, chasing one company's ladder, you know, the rungs up the ladder. It's always just been like, hey, here's a opportunity to move here with these friends and open this business and they would do it. And yeah, I found yeah for, out for the experience of it, right? They just wanted the experience of it and the challenge of it, it sounds like. That's right. And sometimes they would live somewhere for three months and then a company would move them back to where they started, but they didn't mind. They lived in hotels for a while and, and they always met people and they, they talk really fondly about all of those times. Mm -hmm. Not afraid of change either. Okay. So what were you doing right before you started Perengo? What were you doing for a living? I was working in other shops. I think uh, sometime when I was about 21, I got my first official coffee shop job, but for about six years, Prior to that, I had been around shops and restaurants and um, like, you know, knew the recipes and knew the lifestyle and all of my, if I had roommates, they were always coffee shop employees or something like that. So I had been around the world, but I mean, uh, around the coffee shop world. But in, uh, when I was 21, I got my first real coffee shop job where I had to, you know, fill out the paperwork and actually get a paycheck. And then I basically have worked in shops similar to that one ever since. I see. All right. So um, this is a business that you started with your parents. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, the three of you are partners? We are. And so how did you fund the business to get started? It's really hard to fund a business in a small town. And this is something I tackle in the book. We, uh, there's not a lot of venture capital in areas like mine where it's rural and sparsely populated. So we did it out of pocket. And uh, over a series of years, we would pick up used equipment here and there. And then uh, there are some people in small towns now who are getting creative to make entrepreneurship easier to do and to lower the barrier of entry. There's a, a guy here now he, in Sykeston, Missouri. He's our economic development director named Mike Marshall. Previously, he was the co-chair of the Delta Regional Authority, which is a federally appointed position. So it's his job to go around the Delta region at that time and um, encourage people to 
add jobs to their community or to bring in entrepreneurs or to, you know figure out the issues of the Delta region, which is generally depressed. And um, he did a really great job, but he owned some property in Sykeston, which is his hometown. And when he heard we were interested in putting a coffee shop in, he remodeled it for us, built it out so that we could install our equipment without having all the plumbing and electrical fees. And then he even gave us free rent for three months and then wow. a reduced rate for up to a year just to see if we would make it. Mm-hmm. And he always, he kept us on a month to month lease for our benefit because he knew that starting a business is hard. And in small towns like Sykeston, there are a lot of buildings where you, you look at them and you think that would be awesome if there yeah. was something there. Right. But when you get into them, it's impossible on a startup budget like ours to, to put anything in these old buildings. So he, he did that for us. And wow, we owe him huge. a lot for that. Yeah. Yeah, tremendous opportunity. And then the, the rest of it was self-funded from y'all's savings. It was, yeah. And we, we got great deals. There was a coffee shop closing uh, several towns away, and they just wanted to get rid of all the equipment for very cheap. So we got to, I mean, we thought that the price was so good. If even if we don't do this and sell it all on eBay, we'll make our money back. So we we just, you know, spent the money out of pocket and bought all that. And then uh, slowly over time, we'd, we'd add more to it. And then we'd, uh, we'd save up and spend money on design to get the logo done or, you know, whatever we needed at the time. Mm-hmm. And eventually we had it all. Yep. How long from, from opening to turning a profit? Um, I think we still uh, looked at uh, three to five years and that was our plan from the beginning. It's been a little over five years now and this has been a good year for us, but it took us every bit of three to five years. And we had some setbacks in those five years too that, uh, it probably added some time to profitability that uh, I could have done better. And there's some mistakes that I made decisions that, you know, things I tried that um, put us in debt here and there. And so along the way we have taken out some loans and an SBA loan. And also we worked with some local agencies who were doing some partnership gap lending from like a state funded agency, a small business uh, technology development center. They would partner with a local bank to each, like uh, if I had a dollar amount in mind, they would each loan us half of it and then they would guarantee each other's loan and lower the interest rate as a result of that. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were the first one of those in our area to benefit from that program. And um, so we got some good, good deals like that, but uh, you know, we, we had to go into traditional debt in order to get some stuff done. Yeah, so you at least you were you were able to get the lending once you were open and showed that you were operating and generating some revenues. Is that right? Yeah, I think we had been open for over a year when we started applying for our first loan, mm-hmm. uh, okay. which was like a, an equipment and expansion loan, and and they used our history, but then they also you know we still needed to personally guarantee it, and there's there's still a lot of uh, a lot of that that if my dad didn't have a long work history and, you know, if we didn't have some personal assets like a house or, you know, cars and things like that, then I I don't know that we could have gotten some of our loans uh, approved. Yeah. It's a challenge. If you could share Colby, some of those, you mentioned some of the mistakes you made from a, from a retailing or business perspective. Can you share an example of something that you would have done differently now? Sure. Our, my business plan changed over time. Uh, when I first opened, I thought that we would open up a shop. And the reason I, the reason we opened in Sykes and my parents wanted to, first of all, it was their town. But when we did the research, there wasn't a great coffee shop 
in the way that I like to do coffee, which is like, it's called third wave coffee. You know, we like pay attention to where the beans come from, how they're roasted, how they're processed, how they're brewed. And there wasn't another one within 150 miles of Sykeston, Missouri. And we're on two interstates here. So I thought that uh, we'd have this, you know, like a lot of people travel through here so our brand could maybe spread and maybe we could open up other shops in all these communities around us. That was my business plan at the beginning. Of course, in a brick and mortar coffee shop or any type of food retail place, uh, there's a lot of overhead. Pretty quickly after we opened, we started roasting. Actually, I was already roasting like as a hobby, but we added that to the business. We started roasting and, and we found out really soon that people were more interested in our roasting process and the actual practice of roasting than in, uh, you know, lattes and things. So we, we kept with our original plan for a while, but we roasted all of our own beans and um, we tried to open another shop pretty quickly and that ended up losing quite a bit of money for us over time. Uh, we, we kept the shop for about a year and a half until we were able to sell it to a, a nonprofit bakery that was a part of the, the real estate with us. We sold our shop to them and they kept it open for a little while longer. Around that, that was a pretty major setback financially. But around that time, I realized that I should pivot my business plan and not try to open up a bunch of shops and reinvent the, you know, coffee shop chain. But instead, what's needed around here is a roaster and supplier for coffee shops and cafes. And so that's really what we started doing at that point. And is that your focus now primarily besides, I mean, you obviously you have a retail component, but is that the heart of the business now is the roasting and wholesaling? We kind of doubled down on our one cafe and pulled back and we never opened another one. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, I spread the, our, our brand through our roasted beans and supplying cups and lids and syrups and everything to all the other shops in the area and helped a few other shops get open. And then, as luck would have it, this past June, one of the shops we helped get open a couple of years ago bought our roaster and wholesaling business. Ah, I and see. So they, they bought those assets from us and all of the contracts and clients. And uh, they are in Jackson, Missouri, which is about 40 miles away from Sykeston. So they have some aggressive plans for expansion and it just seemed like a really good idea. Instead of competing together, we could still work together and keep the brand alive and, uh, and you know, they could just take it over. And, uh, and now, So now you're focusing on strictly a coffee house, the, the retail side of it. Is that right? Yep. That's all. The original Paringo coffee now is, is just back to our original cafe. Um, we've been in this location for two years now. We, we upgraded a couple of years ago. And uh, we've got a good thing going. We're, we're right in the middle of our neighborhood. We host a lot of events. And, uh, and yeah, we're just supplying our drinks to whoever walks in the door. Yeah. This is Henry Lopez. Before we continue with this episode, I have a few questions for you. Are you struggling with getting started or making the transition from your corporate job to starting your own business? Or are you a current small business owner who needs help with managing and growing your business? Are you ready to invest in your future? I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. Just text BIZCOACH to 31996 for more information. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business dreams and goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner, I understand the challenges you are facing And often, it's about helping you ask the right questions so that you can make progress towards achieving your goals. I can help you get there. 
To find out more or to schedule your free coaching session, just text BIZCOACH to 31996 now. That's B-I-Z-C-O-A-C-H, BIZCOACH, to 31996. Or visit thehowabusiness.com. So one of the things I've never understood, Colby, about the business model of a coffee shop, I, I live in a suburb of Dallas, and so we've got coffee shops everywhere, right? In our small little suburb of about 50,000 people, I don't know, we have four or five of them, and they come and go. And of course, we've got several Starbucks in addition to the independents. I just have never, as a business person, I have always never been able to figure out how you can make money by selling a cup of coffee, and then somebody sits and works on their laptop for five hours. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and I say that somewhat kiddingly because I know there is a business model there, but what am I missing? What is it? How is it that a coffee shop can be profitable despite that factor that I observe? Yeah, it's true that the people who spend the most time in the shop usually spend the least amount of money. So that is so true. I, that, that, is that is true. That is mostly yeah. factual. Okay. Yeah. In general, the, the people who are in and out or who call in, the people you don't really even see, if you're sitting around observing the customers, they will pop in for 30 seconds to pick up that, you know, nine drink order that they called in half an hour ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that really is our bread and butter. You know, okay. we have several people who drive our average ticket way up. And if we can then on average have, um, you know, 150 of those a day or something, we're having a really good year. So your more profitable client customer is that person who walks in, takes a, buys multiple coffees because they're taking it back to the office or whatever. That that's your most valuable client, right? If if all of our daily customers came in and bought two shots of espresso and then sat down for eight hours, we would go out of business. Yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. Okay, um, we'll keep moving. Working with family, I'm always curious as to that dynamic and how you guys make it work. Yeah, I think my family is unique. My, uh, I was born to my parents when they were already in their mid-40s. Uh, so we have a unique relationship. We, we've hit this point where we're like, we're like buddies and we spend a lot of time together every day. We get along really well. And I think we can be honest with each other. We don't have some of the same hang-ups or baggage or uh, you know, fear of stepping on each other's toes like some other families do that I've, I've known who've been in business together. It seems like some families, like it's just always heated, but we're all pretty laid back in general. And, um, and you, I think you just have to do that. Like sometimes you just gotta, there might be something you disagree with, but you just gotta let somebody else win and uh, pick up the slack later. Um, the biggest thing we've got is like my, our, our taste is a little bit different. And I think the Peringo style, the, the aesthetic that I've set up in my shop is mine. And, uh, and I think it works because I am basically our target demographic. How did you guys, how did you guys agree that you would make those decisions and not have it turn into a battle? Did you guys discuss that up front? Not really. We, we've never been a battle family. We're, we're more like, we'll either, we'll give it some time and then we'll talk it out later once we've all like made a decision. Uh, but we, none of us are really hotheaded. None of us blow up or, or like, battle it out in the moment. Now, does that, does that cause a situation where then no decision gets made? Does that create that problem? No, I, I basically just make decisions. I take charge and I make decisions and then we'll talk about it later. Okay. Uh, and, and my parents give me the, 
the freedom to do that. They, they're like, you know, this is kind of your thing. Like, you know more about this than we do. Just we'll, we'll let you do it. And then they make a lot of suggestions or they'll tell me when something's really important to them. And then, uh, you know, like if it's really important to them, then that's something we should do because this is theirs too. But a lot of times it's like, I know, I know what's best and, and I'll fall on my sword if I was wrong. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. Let's get a little bit more into the subject of the book. Obviously we've been touching on it, but uh, I want to start with just what we've touched on already, which is why, why should we consider launching a, a business in a small town? And then I also want to talk about what types of businesses is it a good fit for? So let's start with that. Why, why should we look at a small town as an option? Either because we're already there and, and we don't necessarily have to move to the big town or I want to go back to the small town that I've always wanted to live in. Tell me about why I should consider it. Yeah, so over the past several years from either books or articles I've read or other entrepreneurs I've met, inevitably you, you have to think of like what's our end goal, you know, and so if you talk to an entrepreneur long enough, they're going to say, you know, like you're, you're, it's going to come up like when do we retire and then what do we do or what's the what's the ultimate goal and so many people I've I've read and met say that they want to end up like in a place where there's like good schools and maybe they have some property and maybe there's some water nearby or, and they just want to like be able to chill and finally catch up with their friends and have the money to do that. And when we think about entrepreneurship, a lot of times we think about San Francisco and you got to move out there and you got to hustle for several years and make a billion dollars so that you can move out into the country and buy some property. But right here where I live, there's property available. It's very inexpensive. You can have a lake nearby and you could do that right now, like straight out of college, basically. And the cost of living, the, everything around you is just way cheaper. The cost of recreation, the cost of transportation, there's just a lot less uh, that needs to be expensive around here. You know, and our utilities are some of the cheapest in Missouri and in the Midwest. And uh, people are living that life that uh, some entrepreneurs dream of they're living it right away and they've just got a regular nine to five job. All right. But let's talk about that because those high paying tech jobs are not there. Um, I can't open a lot of typical retail businesses, let's say that depend on large numbers of people because they're not there. So what types of businesses are you seeing? Uh, besides, I mean, yours is an exception. It's a coffee shop and it does well in that small town. And by the way, let, let's define small town. What are we talking about population-wise, demographic-wise? What, what are you calling a small town? Yeah, in the book, I, I say that it's uh, anything like 100,000 people or less. And okay. even though that's not always very small, um, and, and some, there's some overlap, but I would say that it's not a suburb right next to a major metropolitan area. Right. And if you, if you ask somebody where they're from, they don't name the closest city. They say you know, about two hours south of the closest city or whatever. Um, people I don't identify with that city. They, they do identify with the area or the town in which they live. Yeah. All right. So we're not talking about a suburb of a big town. We're talking 100,000 population or less. We're talking true rural areas outside of the big town. So what types of businesses then are we talking about that are ideal for those environments? Well, obviously, it's harder to get a brick-and-mortar business successful in a place where there are just less people. And if you, I think if you have a business like that that's brick-and-mortar and you have all the money in the world, you should go open it on the busiest corner in the busiest city that you can find. However, 
I think that those types of businesses can still work in small towns, and it's because of the internet. There are 15-year-olds in small towns who are making thousands of dollars a month on Instagram because of drop shipping and, and the scalability that the internet brings us. And so the, that type of thinking is available to anyone. And the cool thing is small towns may look the same and still have the same populations as they did 50 or 100 years ago, but small town people are a lot different. The reason is because we used to think that, you know, a trend would start on the coast and then 40 years later, it'd finally make it to the small town in the Midwest, but it's not the case anymore because as soon as a picture hits Pinterest, in nanoseconds, I can see it just like you can see it in Paris or at New York Fashion Week or whatever is going on. And so the, the demand for products and the, and the knowledge of what's out there and what's trending or whatever is the exact same in small towns as it is in any city. So when shoppers in small towns want those things, they're getting on the internet to buy them. Now, I think you can make a business work in almost any business in a small town by selling to local people, but also selling to other small town citizens who are exactly like your local people and they're your same demographic and they've already got the demand, they've already got the knowledge of the products because of the internet and you can reach them through the internet now. Okay, so if I'm, if I'm following you correctly, if we're talking about retail, I, I would think we're talking about a smaller footprint brick and mortar that serves that local town, but also serves neighboring communities, taking advantage of the internet to sell globally, but more importantly, to sell to similar communities in the area, because you're going to have that appeal, right? That you're from that area Is that my following right. so far. You're right. And then of course, there's the other opportunities with have, which have become available because of technology, which are purely uh, virtual businesses. So purely internet businesses where I have no brick and mortar, then it doesn't matter where I live necessarily. Now, I might have, we'll talk about in a moment, the advantages that I might play because my product is from a small town. So come back to that. And then of course, the other thing that's emerging and growing rapidly is people working for large corporations, but doing so remotely where the company doesn't care where you live. In fact, they don't want you to come to an office because they no longer want to spend the money on that, right? So, so right. that's another opportunity. Is that right? That's right. That's huge in the creative class. And I've got several friends who are uh, videographers or freelance designers or photographers, and they work out of coffee shops like mine or out of their home office. And they work for companies primarily who are in some major city, but they've never even been there. They their whole team is spread out across the country or across the world and they video in every day and uh, they make a really good living and they've never left their small town. Yeah. You know, so I'll ask an ignorant question. Are the days of not being able to get good connectivity in a small town like Sykeston, is, are those days gone? You can get as good of internet connection as you would in a big city? Well, not in every town. And that's one of the things that small towns are, are doing now. They're, they've, they've caught this wave. A lot of small town leaders are saying, man, we need to bring in entrepreneurs or how do we get that creative class in here to take us into the future and to, to build our economy? Because maybe the, the factories aren't going to come anymore to this town or, or we, uh, we don't have the right infrastructure here for the, the big industries to open up here like they used to. So we need to look for something new. And so towns are funding, you know, like fiber optic connection or citywide Wi-Fi or they're building out businesses that are like shared workspaces or, or incubators 
where startups can come and get the best internet for free or for their monthly membership fee. Yeah, that makes sense. Great. All right. So tell me about this advantage that I can have sometimes by playing up the fact that I'm a small town business selling not just in my small town, but worldwide. I liken it to the time when uh, it seems really romantic to me, but when you were traveling through, uh, uh, you know, an old European country and you'd come across an inn and that inn had this cured meat and this ale that they brewed and it was the only place you could get it. And that's sort of happening again. I think that millennials, uh, that age group that I happen to fall into, we like that type of thing. We like good finds and special unique products. And so when people pass through here, this is what I've noticed over the last five years, they get off the interstate because they found us on Yelp or Facebook or Google or something. They drive to Paringo Coffee. We're four miles off the interstate, but they drive in and they see our really cool building, the brick streets out front, and they come in and they have my coffee that I roasted here in this building. And uh, they have it in a special way, like in a siphon brewer. They've never seen that before. They just had this whole experience that they couldn't get at any major chain or any big city coffee shop. And they remember that. And so then every time they're passing through here, they'll go out of their way to drive by Sykeston to come back to that shop and get that again. And they even like to take a picture and post that online, which gets us more traffic. And, and I, I think that the, the braggability of those experiences, but also the memories and, and the, it like, it makes it, it might, it might've tasted like a nine out of 10, but in their mind, that was a 10. That was yeah. the best cup of coffee they ever had because they had this whole experience. They got to talk to that sweet older lady who was behind the counter and, and they got to, you know, hear about where these beans came from and what's the history of this town. And, and I, and I think those things stick out now and we look for those, like we're on Pinterest, like the, you know, you can search around and there's all kinds of lists for the top 10, you know, cups of coffee in small towns or the secret places that you need to stop on interstate 55 or something like that. And, and uh, that just goes to show that they're, there's a reason people made those lists and are trying to generate traffic from it. It's because we're looking for those things. Yeah, no doubt. Like you said, we romanticize that. And so that is a big thing that we can take advantage of that someone can take advantage of when they are from a small town and you have a business in a small town. So that is a competitive advantage. Like you said, embracing the authenticity and those that non-corporate feel can be an advantage for a small town based business, right? I'm guilty of it too. I, I, when I'm searching for uh, Christmas products, I'm trying to find things that mm -hmm. my family members and friends have never seen before. They didn't even know that they wanted this and then they get it. And it's so cool that I thought of them and, you know, knew exactly what they would want. And it's probably from some business like mine who has a great web presence and is selling to people like me. Yeah. All right. So where would I start if I'm someone who, let's say, grew up in a small town, but then moved to the big town, or maybe I've lived in a big town and I have that dream that you described of owning some land and getting away from the, the rat race. Where do you, uh, how do you advise people get started with this idea of starting a business or relocating to a small town? I think uh, find where you want to go. This is advice that admissions people are giving to students. You know, you need to go to college where you want to live or especially grad school, law school, med school, something like that. You, you want to go study the things and then get into the job pool in a place where you want to end up. So if you have a, a small town or a region or a, a type of feature like mountains or the ocean or something, look for small towns near there who are making a splash. And they, they probably 
are, uh, they probably have a great website or they're actually, they're actively reaching out to um, agencies like small business technology development centers or incubators or regional, like the Delta Regional Authority I mentioned before, regional economic development agencies. Small towns are reaching out to them and plugging in, trying to figure out how they can recruit. So these calls are going to be out there and you can find them. And uh, if you find a town that you like and you would want to live in and call your home, um, you can then go see what they have to offer. And some places will, like, like what happened to me, there was a, a leader in the town who was willing to build out property that he personally owned just so I would come be a part of his town and open my business there. Yeah. And there are people like that all over the place who are, who are trying to make moves and get creative and do things a little bit wacky and out of the box in order to make this happen. Yeah, you got to search for those opportunities. Okay, great. That's right. I, th I think even filmmakers, you know, you can go, if you want to start a film industry in a small town, you can ask for tax credits or there are places who, you know, they're abandoned property and maybe towns haven't thought of what to do with it. This uh, factory closed down, there's 10,000 square feet here. It's just going to sit empty and maybe you have a great idea that they haven't thought of and they're willing to work with you to, to get you in there. All right, great. So the book again is Small Town Big Money. Uh, Colby, who, who did you write the book for? Who do you think it's for mostly? I want to speak to other small town thinkers and innovators and leaders and try to motivate them and inspire them to go ahead and launch their business if they're on the fence about it. I also want to speak to entrepreneurs out there everywhere who haven't considered small towns and starting a company is hard. And so any, any penny you can save in your startup budget is worth it in the long run. And so if you can do your business in a small town, you should consider doing that. And uh, you'll save a lot of money doing so. And then also there's a few sections of the book that are aimed at city leaders, small town leaders specifically, city planners or the public works guy or the economic development guy, the chamber of commerce. There are other small towns out there who are attracting entrepreneurs and they're doing some really cool things. And your small town can do that too. You know, you can embrace what you've got. And uh, there, there are other companies out there who are, their whole thing is to get towns to think about who they are and how they can attract people like me with an idea like Paringo Coffee and, uh, and, and why that that matters. You know, people who um, settle in this way in a small town and, and launch a business, they're providing jobs. They're also building the culture that's going to last for the next several decades in your town. And so it's important who you get in and, and, you know, like having those thinkers and movers and shakers in your town is, is really nice and it affects things throughout the town like a spider web. And so uh, thinking in that way, like it really does change the fabric of your town, but it's really rewarding. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. Uh, speaking of books, is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend in addition to yours? Yeah, I, I think I got in a rut when I was uh, just making lattes and roasting beans every day. And at <laughs> some point I picked up, it was a few years ago, but I picked up uh, Make Your Mark and uh, Making Ideas Happen, which are by the people behind the 99U organization and Behance. And they have a series of books and those are two of them. But man, it was really inspiring. It has nothing to do with coffee or with small business or with uh with entrepreneurship for the most part, but it, it is just about innovation and the way that they think about their ideas and how to get them out into the world was inspiring to me. And, and I think that helped me shape my vision for my brand and eventually for this book. Wonderful. Great recommendations. We'll have links to those books as well as to your book 
on the show notes page of this episode. And for our listeners, we have a new way for you to connect with us. And if you'd like this information, all you need to do is text the word biz, B-I-Z, biz, to 31996. So text right now the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996, and then I'll send you a link to the show notes and other information about the show. All right, we'll start to wrap it up, Colby. Um, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we've had, uh, either about you know starting a business or specifically about the topic of starting a business in a small town? Yeah, I think if you're on the fence about starting a business, you should look at ways that you can decrease your costs and uh, make it a little bit easier to get going and to become profitable faster. And small towns are the way to do that. I would encourage listeners to go look for small towns because they're out there. Look them up on the internet, which ones are winning the awards for, you know, America's great small towns or whatever. And why are they doing that? Because there's some really creative things coming out of small towns right now. And then check out my book. And I've got a lot of examples and a couple of case studies. And there's some chapters by other people who are doing some cool things around the country. Wonderful. And where can we go online to find out more about the book and about you? Go to smalltownbook.com. And uh, I'm blogging on there and posting, you know, any podcasts I show up on like this one, I'm going to link to it from there. But there's also uh, some links to the book and some little uh, sneak peeks from chapters that'll be in the book, which comes out in January. Fantastic. Colby, this has been a great conversation. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing the, the journey that you've been on in, in uh, starting and, and growing Perengo and the challenges that you've had there. Thanks for, for being real about that. And then this whole idea of small town, big money is, is compelling. You know, some of it is obvious, but as you were describing it, my head's turning as an entrepreneur thinking about all of the side businesses that can exist to support the businesses and the people moving in. So, there's so much opportunity, right? There's always opportunity, but uh, thanks for that idea. And thanks for writing the book and for being on the show today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this. This is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of the How of Business. My guest again was Colby Williams. We release new episodes Monday mornings and you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.